everyone, and welcome to From Tip to Tail, a podcast dedicated to animal welfare. This podcast is sponsored by Cuddly. Cuddly is the only crowdfunding platform built specifically for animal welfare organizations worldwide. I'm Bridget. And I'm Sydney. We've spent years working with animal rescues and have seen such amazing innovation, strength, and heart. Having this personal connection with rescuers has made us more informed, grateful, and inspired. We hope by giving you an inside look, you will be too. Today, we're going to be talking to Jane of the Animal Charity of Ohio, which is a 501c3 registered nonprofit organization and the only humane society in Mahoning County with a full service veterinary clinic. Let's get started. Hi, Jane. How are you? Good. How are you? Wonderful. So good. We're so excited because I feel like Ohio has been a place that we haven't really got to dip into as far as animal welfare organizations and exactly what's going on there. To start at the very beginning, wondering if you can maybe just go into how you got into animal welfare and how you became involved with Animal Charity of Ohio. Absolutely. So a few years ago, I started as a volunteer. I was here just helping with adoptions where I could, emails, some graphics for social media, things like that. And then I was thinking about going into a different direction and Animal Charity of Ohio actually offered me a job as the adoption coordinator. So I started out as just the adoption coordinator. That has since evolved over the last three years. Now I call myself just the coordinator because I'm wearing so many hats right now because we are a smaller, I would consider us a smaller organization as far as the amount of staff that we do have. So I have been doing this now for three years and my wife is actually our humane agent for our county. We only have one humane agent for the entire county. And so she was working here first. And then it was about a year into volunteering that I was offered a position. Amazing. And I know I read about your humane agent and your fundraiser and we'll kind of get into that in a little bit. But I'm wondering if you can explain what a humane agent does and is. Absolutely. So there are different types of agencies and animal control officers and pound deputies and dog wardens and things like that. But in for our circumstance and for a lot of other counties throughout the country, you're designated a humane agent. So that humane agent is working for the humane society. So We are considered a humane society, and she went to training at at the police academy that's here in our state, which is in our state capital, for a training. And then she was appointed by a probate judge, and she swore under oath to follow the laws within the Ohio Revised Code. So we have a certain set of laws that she is in charge of enforcing for our county. So truly, it goes county to county for a humane agent. So she is really just in charge of the 420 square miles of Mahoning County where we're located. And in within our county then, in that set of laws that she follows under the Ohio Revised Code, she can seize and rescue animals based on that set of laws legally and then take the cases with our prosecutors to court. How amazing. Oh, I, I love that, that you have a designated person that is able to step in and 
sort of make those decisions and save those animals you need. I love that. I want to see if there's one in our county. There used to be, we used to have four back in the day. There was four agents for our county, which seems pretty appropriate compared to the one that we have right now. But I, I will tell you, she does the work of 10 people. She is amazing. And we are really fortunate that we have the funding just to at least have her on the road. But I could tell you our county could definitely do with a handful more. A few more. Absolutely. And I, I did want to ask, so um, how have things kind of been for you guys over the past few months with COVID? Because I know there's a lot of um, organizations that are getting a little bit of this and a little bit of that. What, how, how has it been for you guys? It's hard. In December of 2019, we actually made an announcement to the county and to the state without, because we we didn't have at that time a full-time vet. We still don't have a full-time vet on staff. Mm -hmm. The full-time vet in our affordable vet clinic, that's how we were bringing in our funding to pay our staff and keep our doors open. And unfortunately, we were without one. And then it came to that point in December where we realized if we didn't get more funding, then we had the chance of closing our doors this year. And then COVID happened and it just took the worst turn ever, unfortunately. But down to the day-to-day operations of COVID, you know, we did have to unfortunately lay off a lot of the staff and we were working with a skeleton crew. I was the caretaker with Jess, our humane agent for our cats. And then we had only four caretakers watching and caring for all of our dogs. And everybody else, unfortunately, was laid off. We did turn in voluntarily, but based off of our governor's orders, we did turn over all of our PPE. We are a clinic. So we were doing elective procedures in the eyes of the law. Spays and neuters are elective procedures. So we had to stop those and we did turn over all of our gloves and extra masks, Lysol wipes and all of those things to the state. They the county did send over somebody from the health department and, and they did take all of our stuff away in a truck. And then after that, what was hard is there was this huge increase of animals that we were rescuing that were coming mm-hmm. from COVID positive patients that had no family members. And so we are responsible for the community members that are elderly that are passing away or going into the hospital that have no family and we are responsible to take ownership of those animals and um, find them new homes. So that was kind of our focus then, as well as there was a lot of housebound people, a lot of sick people that couldn't go to stores that were quarantining and sheltering in place. We took the task of delivering, hand delivering food and leaving it on people's doorsteps for the people that could not get to the stores or were in quarantine. So we were doing that. And then um, same in other states, they had halted evictions. So there was no evictions happening. This one fateful day in June, they lifted the ban of of evictions and they started evicting again. And then we just started with abandonment over and over and Mm -hmm. over. And it was just, at one point, once from the day that they started doing evictions again, from that day on until two weeks later, we had brought in 26 dogs that were all, almost all of them were abandoned by people that were abandoned. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So it's just been a balancing act. We are still curbside. 
So all of our, we really cater to people that can't afford standard private practice vet care at our organization. So we do have a low cost affordable vet care and it is just exploded. We are taking a huge hit in our clinic for people that have been laid off and can't afford normal vet care and can't get into their normal vets because everybody's in the same boat. So it's been extremely stressful in every department that we're in. Well, so have you had to put a hold on spays and neuters then? If, if, I mean, well, we did, we did at first. Yeah, we did. We had to put a hold on spays and neuters because we had to lay our doctor off and we had to close our clinic because they said that our medical facility was elective surgery based. Mm. So yeah, we did. We did have to stop that for, we stopped from March 19th until May 5th. Wow. I can only imagine too, with that many animals coming in. And I mean, even in the best of circumstances, it seems like it's, especially as the adoption coordinator, was that putting a hold on all your adoptions or are you able to adopt out when an animal isn't altered? Yeah. So we cannot legally adopt out fully an animal, but we can send them into foster care. So we were able to send animals into foster to adopt situations in the meantime. And then we did have a one of our, our former full-time vet, um, she did stop back in right as they said that elective surgeries could happen. And we just did a mass spay and neuter day of all of our animals to make sure that they weren't being held back. Yeah, because I know even around here, like with fully operational veterinary clinics, everyone has been adopting so many animals and there have been so many rescues trying to pull animals out of shelters that even in the best of circumstances, these animals are having to wait a long time to get spayed and neutered and they're kind of in a, a holding pattern. Right. That sounds like, it sounds so difficult because I know we've we've spoken to so many different rescues and shelters. And I mean, I think so many of them have seen the upside of COVID um, and they've been able to really adopt out so many animals and get so many fosters. And, and that's been wonderful, but it sounds like you haven't even been able to capitalize on that one advantage. The, I will tell you, our area, unfortunately, is um, our entire county is really, really, really dictated. The work we do is really dictated by one area. It is spread out through all 420 square miles. Do not get me wrong at all. Um, but there is a large cluster in the city of the abuse and cruelty cases that we deal with. And our adoption rate is not great at our organization in the county in general. We see that. We've had animals for years, amazing, adoptable animals that have been with us for years. Our longest resident currently has been with us. He's a dog and he's been with us for going on five years now. So our adoption rate was not high in general. We average about two to three animals getting adopted a week and that's it. So over the last year and a half, because our intake numbers are so high, and we do not euthanize for space. We don't euthanize for time. We give everybody a fair shake. We really do. Unless an animal is suffering medically and a vet determines that it is best to euthanize, we don't euthanize for space or time. So I've found that transferring to larger organizations in larger cities and larger areas has been the best way for animals to get into healthy and happy homes quickly. So I had started about a year and a half ago, really, really, really building up our network of transfer partners. And so luckily and thankfully, our partners really stepped up during COVID and helped keep our numbers okay. 
our two major cities that we're close to is Cleveland in Ohio and then Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We're right halfway in between both. So I was thankful that our partners really stepped up and have been helping us get adoptions going Mm -hmm. through this time. But that's really the only way that we sustain as far as adoptions go is by transferring. And so in, in regards to your own adoption process, I know you said that you you typically do like the transport and whatnot. Do you tend to, when you're doing the adoption process yourself, do you tend to adopt only to local areas or do you do like out of state or? We will adopt. It is not about location. It is not about socioeconomic background. We strongly believe that a good match for an animal is a educated adopter. So we don't put boundaries on our, unless they have prior convictions of, you know, animal cruelty or animal abuse, Mm -hmm. do we stop somebody from adopting? We do make sure that they are given a chance to really meet that animal, get to know that animal. So everybody is given two weeks to four weeks, depending on the animal's needs to make sure that it is the right fit. But we also have a like open door policy. So we will take back an animal at any stage. So we just took back an elderly woman who adopted eight years ago, she adopted a dog from us and she was going into a nursing home and we took that animal right back and now he's in a foster. But I mean, we do not have a closed door policy. Every and any animal that doesn't work out in a home can come back to find a new home. I love that ideal just because there could be a perfect home and the next city over, the next county over. And I like that the restrictions don't stop somebody from finding that perfect match. I mean, we adopt out of state constantly. Um, and we love staying in touch with our adopters and we have a special Facebook group where people can post their updates and it's awesome. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and why wouldn't other rescues in your surrounding areas want to partner with you to help facilitate such a wonderful organization? I mean, that's great that you've been building up that network because I know on our end, we've seen so many rescues who kind of isolate themselves it's, and it's hurting them um, in the long run. And so I feel like people come together. It really is able to, I mean, during these times where when things get really hard, that that's when people can come together and they can really accomplish their one main goal. I mean, that everyone can agree on. Yeah, I will tell you that this area is our rescues in this area and our county dog pound and our dog warden, um, Diane, like, We are really, really thankful for the relationships that we have with the larger organizations. We do hold ourselves to a pretty high standard considering we are an extension of law enforcement when it comes to animal laws and our humane agent. But if another rescue that's local is in need of of anything, we're always here. We just had like a local TNR group come and we've been saving up extra food for them for their food pantry. Like we try really, really hard to work with as many organizations as possible incredible. And I mean, it sounds like you're trying to meet your community in so many other ways. I mean, just dropping off food so people can stay healthy. And I mean, we have an open door policy for that as well. So any community member within Mahoning County that is in need of dog food, cat litter, cat food, they are more than welcome to stop by. And if we have it, then they can take it. So I know you said you you feel like you're a little bit smaller of an organization. So how many people are currently working with you? We have 23 employees and we have two buildings. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's what a full-time job that is. (laughs) Yeah. 
I mean, I can only imagine. You said there are only like four caretakers too, right? The, that was during COVID. We did we did get some back now, but we have one part-time vet that just does spays and neuters. We have one part-time net, um, vet that does the affordable clinic. Our other part-time vet that we had, she's about to go on maternity leave. And then we have one receptionist. People complain about our phones all the time because they're always backed up, but we have one receptionist for both buildings. We have one vet tech and she is awesome. We have one humane agent. We have one kennel manager. So, I mean, the bulk of our organization is our animal caretakers. And so we let people know that we're not frivolous. I can't even, (laughs) I can't even say that. (laughs) Frivolous? Yes. Frivolously spending donations. Our donations are going directly to the animals. Our buildings are falling apart. They really are both buildings. They are in need of major, major work, but we are not an organization that's willing to have a flashy building in and use money that way. We just, we just aren't. So. Well, and it sounds like too, I mean, you're everyone that works in your organization. I mean, is dealing with some of the harder cases seems like, I mean, especially if, if you have a direct connection to your humane agent, it, it seems like these really hard cases are being delivered to you. So I can only imagine the level of strength and compassion that, that everyone that works at your organization has as well. Yeah, we, our team, I mean, we call ourselves a team. We call ourselves a team every single day and we work together as a team. We don't have an executive director at this time, we did. And that was just, probably, oh, almost about a year and a half ago when they left. And we have been working, running without an executive director. So we work together as a team and it is the best environment that I could have ever asked for. Our board of directors that we have that oversees is awesome and they're extremely supportive. So we are really lucky because the things that we are seeing are, I feel like it's worse than anywhere else around. Unfortunately, we are seeing it's just felony after felony after felony case Mm -hmm. that we're dealing with. Yeah. That's heartbreaking. And I know, I mean, you mentioned in your fundraiser as well, a felony specifically means that an animal didn't make it, right? I know there's a lot of confusion about the the laws that came to be recently with executive orders um, in the White House as far as felony laws. Those are very restrictive laws that there are in this country as far as felony goes. So animal abuse in the country is not a felony. What people unfortunately misread and misinterpret that felony stature. The felony that is been made public from this current White House is actually for like the taping, the the videography, the voyeurism of animal abuse and dog fighting. So you can't videotape and then sell and make a profit or commit acts of animal cruelty on a federal institution. So those don't really pan down to the state and local levels the way that people would hope. But in Ohio, we do have our own felony law, which is called Goddard's Law, that just passed a few years ago. And that protects those, like that felony bracket of laws in our area. So if an animal is killed, as in like tortured to death, 
starved to death, a number of ways that an animal is killed negligently, we are covered under the Goddard's law. So we can charge felonies. So heartbreaking that it has to get to that point. I mean, yeah. But I do like that that law is in place. Like you have something that is securing you to at least get, I mean, God forbid an animal ever has to go through that to the point where they lose their life. But at the very least, there is that system of, of perhaps getting justice for them after. We really, 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 truly need more state laws. Um, the laws that we do have in this area aren't great. Um, we get a bulk of the harassment that we get as an organization because, you know, there's online trolls and all of those things. But the bulk of the harassment that we get is because people don't understand what little laws that we do have here. And so we really are restricted unless there is a clear law being broken under the little laws that we have, it's mostly about educating. So. Well, so, I mean, that's a question I would have then, because I know even for myself, it would be hard for me to know what to do if I had suspicions that like a neighbor or someone I, I knew was not treating an animal humanely. Is there a process that someone could go through to identify like, like to raise a red flag basically? Absolutely. So, and then this goes anywhere. This is nationwide. If you suspect a neighbor, a family member, a friend, or anybody that you come in contact with is, is doing some form of animal abuse, neglect, abandonment, or cruelty, if you don't have actual hard video, text messages, pictures of that abuse happening, then to report the address. And you have to be clear on who, if, if you don't have a humane agent, in your area, you will want to contact animal control or the dog warden in your area. But if you don't have any of those, you can call the police. Those laws that every state has can be enforced by the police department or by the sheriff's department. So no matter what your complaint is, you can call the police and do a formal or anonymous complaint. And then we always tell people, no matter how small it is to complain, but if it is a serious situation where there's an animal's life is at stake and it's a time critical, just call 911. And we tell people that constantly because, you know, we have one human agent. She is on call 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, including holidays. She does not have a day off. If an animal is dying and she is with them and another call comes in and it is emergent, if it doesn't come from the police department, she won't get dispatched if she's not sitting at her desk. So it's really important to utilize your local police or law enforcement with a clear address of where the abuse is taking place. What a strong person they'd have to be. I can't even imagine having to choose between like when you're at an animal side to go somewhere else. I mean, all the more reason why you need more of them, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what? Police officers can go to a scene or firemen can go to a scene and assess. And we get a lot of calls from paramedics as well. They can go to a scene and assess that it's an, a true legitimate call that would take that agent or deputy out of commission to put them into that other emergent situation. You don't want to wait. If you suspect something, you want to make that initial call so it can get looked into. We've talked with other rescues too who mention how heartbreaking it is when an animal is seized in like an abuse case and 
especially when they're going to pursue legal action that a lot of times they do get held as like quote unquote evidence, which is heartbreaking, but certainly preferable to what could happen. Absolutely. I, we get animals in daily. I mean, that are part of every animal that we bring in. We don't take in stray animals. We don't take in animals that are in happy homes or surrenders. We don't take in owner surrenders. All of the animals that come in are being abused or abandoned. So all of our animals have to stay for until legally we can claim ownership of them or the court gives us ownership of them. So it sounds like here in your fundraiser, I keep referring to it. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into detail about it right after this, but it says here that local police is actually referring a lot of calls to you as well, like directly. Yeah. So we get, we do have one dispatch phone that the humane agent carries with her 24 hours a day and it goes off all night long and we have it set to the most obnoxious ringer. So we know we don't miss it, but they do call even on Christmas. They call, they call every single day. The police will either make an arrest do a drug bust, they'll pull somebody over and they'll find animals in these situations of abuse, neglect, or abandonment. We got 1,000 calls in 2019 from law enforcement, first responders. Yeah, it was 1,000 calls in 2019. So That's heartbreaking that that even has to be the case. But so lucky that you guys are there to answer that call. Albeit, you said that this humane agent is your partner, right? Yes. So this sounds like she's very lucky to to have an understanding partner. I am her backup. So on the big cases where she does need an extra hand, I do go with her. I am on most of the rescues. The large cases, I am there as well as her backup. So I am right there with her. I mean, so amazing too, because I feel like you you hear so many unfortunate horror stories of like uneducated people who work for like, uh, whether it be animal control or other agencies that are like, maybe don't have experience working with like specific medical cases. I can only imagine how lucky these animals are to have you that's like knowledgeable and bringing them into like a vet facility, albeit without a veterinarian, but... <laughs> I mean, from time to time, but <laughs> yeah, we, um, we are fortunate. The state laws, we, our vet tech is also on call 24 hours a day, 365. When we are bringing animals in that are medical, even if it's at two in the morning, cause we do it to her all the time. We have instant help for these animals. That's, I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's cause you said this happens like almost daily too. And given your adoption rate, I mean, it sounds like you have to have those partnerships with other organizations because you would run out of space so very quickly. Yeah. Did you guys see our last fundraiser that we did? We, um, I don't know what we would have done without Cuddly, to be honest with you at that time. Like I talk about Cuddly constantly and I'm, I, I give Danette email address out to every rescue (laughs) I have because you guys really saved our butts and the community at Cuddly saved our butts for sure. We did a case of 107 cats in one house and they were all medical nightmares. Oh, I did see this one. Yeah. And they needed like hundreds and hundreds of dollars of medical care, every single one of them. 
I don't think that we would have been able to, we were, like I said, we were very fortunate for you guys because we were able to fully vet every single cat. And then once they were a hundred percent like bill of health, we were then able to transfer them out and they have started being adopted like left and right. And it was because they didn't have to wait for medical funding because we raised it all on cuddly. We raised almost $24,000. Oh my gosh. It was all our cuddly campaign. I think right now it's still up there. Our goal was 24,000. We're at 21,000 and some change and it paid for every single animal to be vetted and they all needed surgeries. They all needed dental extractions. They all had wounds and it was just, they were a disaster. And it was because of you guys, we were able to be so fast about it and to help them so fast. I love that for so many reasons, but I love that as a cat lover because I feel like dogs get so much attention and love. And I feel like 117 cats, that is no small number. So many. Right. And we were, they had to demolish, like, I don't know if you guys want like details about the case. I can give you some details about the case, but we got the call because the outside of the house was infested with rats. <gasps> they were taking over the community and every single local official and organization was all called us and they were converging on the house and they wanted us to take lead. We do work with adult protective services. We do come across child protective services at times. A lot of our cases do overlap with those organizations, but we got a call to converge. When Jess told me, she was like, hey, we're going to this house on Friday at 10 a.m., but the report's only for 12 cats. And I was like, okay, 12 cats, that's fine. Like, She's like, but there's a thousand rats outside of the house. And I was like, what? There's no way there's 12 cats. Okay, I'll prep for 50, okay? So I took a compromise. I was like, I'll prep for 50. We don't have 50 crates. We don't have 50 cages. So I had 24 hours notice. I assembled a team of five volunteers, like our closest volunteers. And I was like, all right, I'll get some extra carriers. We brought 12 carriers and set up 50 spots. (laughs) And we showed up. And after a couple hours, we were able to go in and then it was just, we just went in the first room and it was Ugh. 40 cats just sitting in the first room. And we we're like, what the heck is going on? And like, I mean, the smell, we were all, three firemen had to go to the hospital. I had to go to the hospital. Jess had to go to the hospital. because I was, was going to say, what was that like first initial like walk into that house like? I threw up three times over the course of the like week that we were working at this house. Mm-hmm. We had to get every cat out before demolition because they were demolishing this house because it was such a health department nightmare. So we got on day one, we got out 98 cats. Wow. Day one. And I kept calling. I'm like, just set up more crates. How many? I don't know. Just set up more. So we shattered that number of 50 crates that I had set up pretty fast. And we were just pulling left and right, left and right from everywhere that we could. And we just had lining. We had to pull all of our lobby seating out and we just lined the walls with crates. And every room was just full of cats here. Yeah. 
And then by the end of did the day, they, oh, sorry, I did want to ask, did they say like how long that they thought the cats had been in there for? Well, see, that's what's hard is that they stuck to the story. The, these people stuck to the story that there were only 12 cats inside. And that's the only answer we were getting was that there was that there were only 12 cats inside. And after the whole week of rescuing, we did end up pulling 101 cats out of the house. And then a lot of them were obviously pregnant. So there were a lot of births um, here that happened. Anybody that we knew was pregnant or suspected that was pregnant or that came up on x-ray, you know, we did, we do let them give birth. If we know that mm-hmm. an animal is pregnant, we do allow them to give birth. Some places will spay while pregnant. We don't believe in that. If there are, if that animal is about to give birth, we let them give birth. If we don't know that an animal is pregnant and we spay them, then, you know, that's completely different because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you just don't know, but yeah. Oh my gosh. I can only imagine that going in to think that there was like, or not even going in thinking that there was 50, going in thinking there was 12, preparing for 50, you're feeling good. You're like, yeah, I have extra. And then going in and finding over double that. Oh, yeah. When I tell you, we had to set traps. We caught a couple more in the traps after we're like, no, this house is clear. Like the initial day of the rescue, we were like, okay, I don't see anymore. The firemen were like, no, I don't see anymore either. And the picture on the main screen of our um, fundraiser for Cuddly is this line of cats shoved behind a a couch and all you see are eyes. And that was literally when I thought we were done. And I took that picture, I pulled the couch back and it was 30 cats sitting behind a couch hiding. And I was like, then we realized, okay, they're in the walls, they're in the couch cushions, they're in the box springs, they are in the dresser drawers. There was a cat giving birth actively in the kitchen cabinet. Like it was insane. Insane. It's just so much because it is, I feel like the capacity that you guys have and what you're taking in, it just it seems just like so overwhelming. I'm I mean, I'm a little speechless. <laughs> Right now, I'm like sitting there. I'm like, oh, like all I can say is, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, because <laughs> I can, I just can't imagine, like, oh, like, wow, yeah. And just knowing, like, just what comes along with with any sort of cat, like, of course they're going to have dental issues. Like, of course they're all going to need to be spayed and neutered. All have fleas. Yeah, we did have some that really just didn't make it. Their breathing and respiratory was so bad. I mean, I did find one like day of that was barely alive. There was, I think about between 14 and 20, and I don't have it in front of me that didn't make it. They were so sick. I mean, it was just unreal how sick these guys were. And we still have cats here from that house that are still on medicine. And that happened way back when in July. Mm -hmm. I mean, percentage wise though, it sounds like you did such extraordinary work. Yeah, we tried really, really hard to save as many as we could. So I know we kind of touched on this a little bit, but I know right now you're currently actively fundraising. I mean, you're actively fundraising for a few different things right now, it looks like, because clearly you have not stopped taking in animals, but one of which is actually to support your rescue as a whole because of the veterinary clinic. So I'm wondering if you can touch on that a little bit more. Yes. The way that our organization is structured, our vet clinic funds our humane society. So there are two 
there's the Jean Kelty Vet Clinic, and then there's Animal Charity Humane Society. And as a whole, we are Animal Charity of Ohio. So without the clinic, we wouldn't have the revenue to support the staff of the Humane Department and the Humane Society. Without being able to have a full-time vet for as long as we've had, we have no government funding either. I think that's a key part. We don't have government funding, even though we do a lot of work with our local officials and and things like that, we are not government funded. We rely solely on donations to keep our doors open. And we have found ourselves over the last almost year now to a point where the donations aren't matching the work that we're doing. We had to spend $33,000 in outside veterinary specialty care last year alone because our animals are so abused and they need to be rushed to hospitals. And so those bills are higher and it's not even the fact that, you know, wouldn't have spent that money. We did spend that money, but because the cases are getting worse and worse and worse, we're spending more and the donations don't match. So we are really trying hard to up our game and tell people what we're doing to try and get some more support for our organization to keep our doors open because With our organization in this area, unfortunately, we're talking about hundreds of animals dying. Right. I mean, I can't imagine a better cause to donate to as well. I mean, you've already mentioned you're like how grateful you are as you're talking about like these terrible cases that you're taking and seeing every day, walls that desperately need to be renovated and still you, you think it's the best job in the world. I mean, that's the kind of people I feel like are worth supporting, truly. Not to give you too much flattery, embarrass you too much. So I, th- I feel like what I'm really astounded by is, is the fact that you haven't stopped taking in these animals more than anything. I mean, and that you're constantly fundraising for all of the, their different needs, which of course are going to be incredibly expansive as they come in. I'm wondering if you could maybe touch on a few of the cases that have come in recently. So in the fundraiser, I'm talking about a specific case. The fundraiser is kind of like this heartfelt letter that I wrote to try and get people to support us so they could just, that was it. That's one day, that story that I'm telling in our fundraiser, that case is a felony case. And we, there were animals that were actually shot to death and we are in court trying to charge felonies still. It was, it's continuously pushed back because of COVID. So we're still working on that case from January. But I think more recently, it's so hard because I don't want to sound like I'm running through a list because these are animals' lives, but there were the dogs that were shot. There's been quite a few animals recently that have been starved to death that are all felonies as well that we are working through the court systems on. We have had multiple animals that have been dying of mange, and you don't typically hear dying of mange, but that's how neglected they are, that their internal organs are actually shutting down because of how severe their mange is. And we're talking about just the standard non-contagious demodex mange that has not been treated to a point where these animals are dying. So we do see quite a bit of that. We have seen multiple animals that have heartworm that's been untreated. We are a beacon for heartworm in our area. Unfortunately, it is, the numbers are staggering here for 
how many animals we bring in that have heartworm. At one point last year, we had 24 animals all with heartworm in our shelter that were rescued. And we are seeing animals dying of heartworm here. We had a little girl, her name was Marnie. And, you know, her, she went into major heart failure because, because of having untreated heartworm. And she did end up passing away from it. We are seeing a lot of animals being left out. We have the way we are, we do have four seasons here in Ohio. So when the heat waves come, we do see heat stroke and animals dying of heat stroke. And when it's winter time and we do get, we had a polar vortex where it went to a wind chill of negative 26 below and we had animals dying in the cold that we were rescuing. And it is ongoing and it is ever changing, but it's consistent and it is getting worse, unfortunately. What's so heartbreaking about what you've just, I mean, everything you've just mentioned is they're all avoidable. That's what I was thinking. Oh my gosh, Reggie, you read my mind. I was like, these are all, like, especially the heartworm, all avoidable things. They can be prevented. Terrible. The cat hoardings that we do are un- unbelievable. Like we did one last year, 45 cats, right? When we brought in the 107 cats in July from that one house, the next week we brought in 20 from another hoarding. Like the cat hoarding in this area is rampant. and it is getting worse. It is all getting worse. The abuse, animals, an animal got shot just this week. Um, it's a new case. He was found by our pound. Like it is constant, constant, constant. And it, 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 it's just, like I said, it's just getting worse. And without having the funds to back us up and fill that, I get scared time on what happens if we have to close. Absolutely. And I mean, more than that, too. I mean, if you had proper funding, too, then it gives you the opportunity to expand and and better education and and stop this before it, anything starts, too. I, I mean, I already said it, but I feel like what a great organization to support. Um, If you're looking to make a huge difference, like directly to so many animals, it's really incredible. But we like to turn things a little bit more lighthearted towards the end. It seems maybe Things can be so heavy and we definitely don't want to shed, I mean, to make it too light because of course, these are such important issues that are worth taking very, very seriously. And we want to make sure that you get all the attention on that to end. So do you have personal pets in your home? Yes, I do. I have three special needs dogs. Oh my gosh. What kind of special needs dogs do you have? I have a lab named Zoe and she has epilepsy and she sees, has seizures every two to four weeks. I have a, another lab named Zeke and he has severe anxiety. He had cancer when he was one years old and now he is four and he has severe anxiety. So he's afraid of kitchen cabinets opening and garbage bags and any my purse. Like I can't walk. I am with my purse. If I hang my coat on the chair the wrong way, he screams and cries and runs and hides. So, (laughs) and then I have a new one and his name is Zach and he is a year and a half old and he is just a Heinz 57. I call him a Sharpay Beagle mix, but he's mixed with everything. And he has um, been suffering for the last 
18 months that we've had him since he was a puppy with, he, um, gets Sharpay fever. So he spikes really high fevers and has to go to the hospital all the time. Oh my gosh. What a herd of dogs you have. Where I will tell you, I did not look for the special needs dogs either. They all just ended up being special needs. I'm like, I'm a beacon. What am I doing? They just knew that. I feel like that's kind of how it happens. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yeah. They <laughs> they knew that you would give them the best homes. Mm-hmm. They find you. Yeah, they did. They all three did. And the one we rescued, or we got from a breeder who couldn't adopt him out and she was, she didn't want to sell him. And so we got him from her to rescue him. And she was like, you don't want this dog you don't want this dog. And we're like, oh no, we do just give him to us. She's like, he's, he's a mess. And I was like, that's okay. Just give him to me. And yeah, he is a mess. He really is. But I love him so much. And they all have such big personalities. I feel like if they're, if they have something else going on. So we have a couple questions about them, then you can pick and choose who they apply to. If one of your dogs was president, what would be the first thing you did? I mean, it would have to be my oldest Zoe. And she would probably eat every ounce of dirt around the White House and every rock and stick that she could find she would collect and hoard and make her own. Like, that's what she would do. Oh, my gosh. Then she'd go have a seizure in the Oval Office. So what is the naughtiest thing one of your dogs has done? Well, Zeke, my middle child, he has eaten three leather couches. Oh, no. Would get a replacement and day one he would re-rip the crap out of it. Yeah. Absolutely. Some weird satisfaction. And if you had to pick one life motto, what would it be? I feel like there's a couple things like small, like little just mindsets that I tell to everybody all the time. And it just work as a team. I'm huge on working as a team. Teamwork is really, really everything. And I think teamwork makes the dream work. That's a good quote. That one. But then also education. People really, I really focus hard on people educating themselves. I don't have a quote for education, but education and teamwork. I think those are the two main like little factors that people really need in this world to live their life by. And, and yeah, so I don't have a motto, but I would say those two factors. No. Yeah. I think those are perfect, especially given, I mean, What a great team to be a part of and to be part of that sort of culture where it's just like continue educating yourself and continue working as a team. That's so wonderful. If you're allowed to talk about it, but are you having something coming out as far as a video series? Yeah. Oh, I for sure can talk about it. So we are working with um, World Animal Awareness Society. They have a division. It's called WARN, W-A-R-N, World Animal Rescue Network. And we are the first organization to be a part of WARN. And they are filmmakers and they have a documentary that's going all over the country right now um, in film festivals. They just won Best Texas Documentary. And we are going to be doing a docu-series with them. They've come and we've been filming our cases over the last few months. They came and spent 10 days in October with us and filmed us. And they are doing a docu-series on us that should be coming out soon. Fingers crossed. There's going to be a sneak peek. We're doing a virtual online fundraiser 
to screen their big documentary. It's called A Stray Dog's Rough Life. And it's all about like, it shows down in Hurricane Harvey and like some crazy things that some rescues down in Texas are doing and how they're the complete opposite of us. And they're going to be doing little sneak peeks of our docuseries at that fundraiser at the end of November. So wonderful. We're so excited for that. I'm so excited. I know I am too. It's that's one thing. Our staff is like, get the camera out of my face. I'm trying to save this dog. It's been funny. I'm always like in people's faces. I carry a camera. Jess has a camera. Like Mm -hmm. so funny because we're always just running around with cameras everywhere. And people are like, why is there a camera filming me? We're like, it's not, it's about us. Sorry. It's just a weird adjustment, but yeah, it is. But I love it. You guys should definitely check out. They did a small piece on us, just a quick little YouTube video right when COVID started, but it's World Animal Awareness Society and you can find them on YouTube and on Facebook. Definitely include that um, along with this podcast as well so that everyone can learn a little bit more about you. Other than that though, is there anything else? I mean, donations, of course, but as far as like volunteers, is there anything else that you, you need? No, I'm, we're still curbside. So we're not taking volunteers this time. Ohio's really bad with COVID. So really just find us on social media and support our cuddly campaigns because the cuddly campaigns are really what's keeping our doors open right now. So yeah, just find our cuddly campaigns and and share them on social media. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jane. We love talking to you and getting a little more insight into everything you do. Thank you so much for having me. Seriously, I loved doing this. You guys were so great. I feel like I just found like my new favorite hobby of podcasting. Oh, us too. We are completely speechless. Everything Jane is doing is so incredible. I mean, as far as dealing with so many abuse cases and still managing to stay so upbeat about everything that they're doing and and loving what she does. If you wanna learn more about Animal Charity of Ohio, you can check our show notes or our blog. And remember to rate, like, and subscribe to this podcast. We love hearing from you guys. So any reviews that you leave are great. And also be sure to follow Cuddly on all social media accounts at We Love Cuddly. That's C-U-D-D-L-Y. Thanks, guys.